0: We started last week on this idea coming into twenty sixteen What do you want from me and look we we all know um, the church world has a has a history it has a reputation of that it wants something from people and most of the time it's things that that people um, find to be pretty uh, shallow and, and pretty self-serving mm-hmm. Come on, because what we, what we promote is what the church wants instead of promoting what does God want from us. Mm-hmm. That, that oftentimes has... Um, it does not begin with what God wants for church. It begins with what God wants in us mm-hmm. individually. Yes, sir. Last week we we looked at what do you want from me out of Deuteronomy. I think it's a really challenging concept. What do you want from me this week? Biblical truth about justice. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. This is is what it says. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does he require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want us to pray over the word. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your promises. I thank you for who you are. God, I, I pray, uh, I really just ask on this message today, just, just help me stay out of the way of this. And God, let your word speak for itself. Um, nobody needs my opinion. God, we just need to see Your Word and to understand it together, to understand it in its full context, and God, not just to pick and choose the things that we want to see. And so, God, I pray that You speak to us on what it is that You want from us today. And Your Word says that it's to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with You. And so, God, I pray You speak this into our heart and show us it in Your Word today. I just pray these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. Church together said, Amen. There's an interesting thing in this, in this passage. It, it has, It really is a command. It's not a belief. It is an action statement that he wants us to do justly or to do justice. And so as I was reading, I came across this quote from Timothy Keller, He's a pastor. He started a inner city church uh, in New York that I wanted to be able to go see while we were up there, and I just didn't get to go by it. It's on the opposite side of town. But he said, When the Spirit enables us to understand what Christ has done for us, the result is a life poured out in deeds of justice and compassion for the poor. When we are reading this Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and he says that we're to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly we're going to talk today just about the idea of doing justly but we have to understand just and uh, the justly statement and the mercy statement together because they're while they're they're two different things they have to function together in the body of Christ and they have to function together in us as believers and so it's not we get to do one and not do the other. The two are so connected that we have to at least understand them before we talk about justice. And you guys know me, I, am, I don't make great attempts at pronouncing Greek words. Gene could probably do this for me, but, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll have it... Mem- <laughs> He's like, no, don't call me out right here. The, the word for mercy that's used in Micah chapter 6 represents God's unconditional grace and compassion. Now, just for a moment, keep that Micah 6 and 8 in your mind. He said, these are the things I want you to do, to to do justly, to love mercy. So to love God's unconditional grace and compassion. But the word justice, which actually I I do, is mishpat, how about that? Which is an action of justice. It's it's taking an action. So one is this unconditional grace and compassion. It says we're to love that. We're to have a love for God's unconditional grace and compassion, but we're to do actions of justice. So it was a focus on the action taken, while mercy was a focus on the attitude of, of motive behind the action. You put that together by saying we must do justice out of merciful love. This idea, this, this mishpat, it, it carried a, a meaning that was, that was more than just the punishment of wrongdoing. It carried the meaning of giving someone their rights... So we think sometimes when we talk about justice, and we're we're gonna we're gonna touch on this later in this in this uh, this message today. We we think of justice as being all oh, justice gets served, and therefore we think of it as punishing someone, and that is a portion of justice. But but the biblical idea of justice, this mishpat, carried a meaning that included giving someone their rights. Proverbs 31 and 9 says, Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Open your mouth. Look at that. I, I told someone this week, I said it has, it has become more apparent to me in the last few weeks Oftentimes we tend to, when it comes to things of justice in our society, we tend to uh, not get involved. We will say, well, I didn't participate in this action that was unjust. Yes, but we kept our mouth shut. And as the body of believers and as the followers of Christ and as those representing the character of God, we also did not step forward and open our mouths to speak against things that were unjust. He says, open your mouth. Why? He says, because you're keeping it shut. Because there's a struggle for you. You're wanting to sit idly on the side and not accomplish what God's character is that He expects to be lived out through us. And so you're keeping your mouth shut, so I just won't say anything. But but here's the thing. When we see things done that are wrong, and we say, well, I didn't do it. No, but we didn't step forward and say, that is not what should be, because my God has told me that this is what is correct. He says, open your mouth. Judge righteously. Don't just judge. By the way, I mean, here's an odd thing then when we hear people say, you know, well, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Ironically, yet in Proverbs he turned and said, judge, just do so righteously. Come on. Because if we'd read the rest of that verse that we use about the judging thing, he says, because then you're going to be judged with the standard with which you use. That's right. And you know what ultimately we're all going to be judged by is the standard of the Word of God. Yes. We're not going to be judged by what this denomination said or what that denomination said or by what this evangelist said or by what this pastor says. We're going to be, be checked to see how we line up with God's Word. So he says, Open your mouth and judge righteously and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Why? In the Old Testament... We often see what many scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable that often show up with this word mishpat. We see widows, we see fatherless, we see immigrants, and we see the poor. In Zechariah chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, he says, Do not oppress the widow the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refuse to pay attention and turn a stubborn shoulder and stop their ears that they might not hear. He said, don't oppress the widow. Don't oppress the orphan, the fatherless. Don't oppress the sojourner, the one that's coming through. I, I will tell you this. Uh, and, and just in case anybody, you know, getting a little nervous here at the beginning of this, um, I'm 100% for legal immigration. In case anybody's turned to say, oh my goodness, these people can say open the borders and we ought to, are, that's not what necessarily what I'm, but I will tell you this. And some of these guys and other, uh, that have been to Africa and stuff, you, you've probably seen some things. I, it has been impactful to me going to a country where there is no welfare system, there is no governmental support system, and stand there and see people. And have one of the guys ask me as we were talking, he says, how do the poor in your country, how do they get enough to survive? And me knowing that there was no governmental assistance in their country, knowing that there's no welfare system, knowing it's either work or die type of thing. You may be doing something illegal, but still you have to do something. And, and, and I'm going, how do I explain what's happening here to people that for generations they don't even understand the concept? And then as I'm trying to explain it, and as I'm saying, well, you know, they, they have this card that, that you can get and if you get this card then you can you can buy food and really and uh, yes um, well well what about living well um, there's housing that is it's not great but but it's but it's, it's better than what they have and and it's low-income housing and and uh, and, and you can um, most most people can receive a check from the government. A check. Yes, money. And you can use that then to, to maybe pay for the housing or cannot be, cannot be. Would This would be a miracle. And in my mind, I went, no wonder that people will risk life and limb and everything to come into this country and, and are uh, very excited by the idea of of anyone saying that that if you come here, we'll just we'll go ahead and make you look because we saw it. We saw people that had no. They didn't have this type of stuff going on when when these passages were written in the Old Testament. It wasn't you know people would go from country to country. Now you might get killed, but but it wasn't necessarily as much a thing of of keeping you out until, until things turned into uh, Muslim against Christian and Jews and, and, and some, uh, some ethnicity more so than just this is our area and we don't necessarily let you in in the way we understand it today. But they had people all the time traveling through, and, and this, these four groups of people, um, these four groups of people, essentially they had no social power Um, in pre-modern societies. And so the, the mishpat, or the justness of a society, was judged, according to the Bible, it was judged by how it treats these four groups of people. It was judged by how it treated widows, by how it treated the fatherless, by how it treated immigrants, and by how it treated the poor. Neglect. Of these groups was not a lack of charity or a lack of mercy. It was considered a violation of justice or a violation of mishpat. But but how do we know this? How do we know that this attitude is really the character and the nature and the design of God? Because um, anybody could stand up and say, "Oh, I think God, you know, says this," because now that's our political opinion or whatever. I really, it really doesn't matter what your political opinion is. It really, or mine. It just matters what does the Word of God say. Come on. And so, Psalms 146, verses 7-9 through says, speaking of God, it says He is the one who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked... He brings to ruin. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial, and He takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God is described repeatedly in the Old Testament as the one who executes justice, mishpat, for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, loves the righteous, watches over the sojourners, upholds the widow and the fatherless, He's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and does not take bribes. Why? Because in their society they were accustomed to that the way that you would get something done in your favor was you could slip a bribe to the judge. You could slip a bribe, a, a, a bribe to the, to the guards, You could slip a bribe into, the, into the, the, the prison system and maybe get someone out. It was all about your ability to influence others through your affluence. And he says, but God is not that way. God makes sure that He takes care of the poor. God's character is such that He desires to feed those who are hungry, to oversee those who are the sojourners who are traveling through. All of this He oversees and says, but He takes no bribe. You cannot convince Him to do something for you that is undeserving because you slip a bribe to Him. Come on, I was sharing with a friend of mine in... Ohio this week of how, as when we were sharing the, 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 the gospel in Uganda, I said, I never would have believed that you could present such a simple gospel and people receive it. And now here a month later, we've seen pictures then of guys that, that our group prayed with, that prayed to receive Christ, that now have been in a house church for the last four weeks, Standing up, reading the one Bible there in that in that house church, and how that that guy's now leading other people to Christ mm, boy, of a simple message of the gospel. And I told him, I said, but it's so interesting because in a society where the church charges people, oh, you you need prayer for your family? Well, that well, that will be ten thousand shillings. Oh, you you need us to come? Then that'll be. I said, and then you're standing here telling people, here is a message. I have a message for you. How much does it cost? It is nothing. It it is free, but it has been paid for with a price that is beyond expectation, but yet for which you don't owe a debt, because God paid a debt that He didn't owe, and you owed a debt that you could not pay. But it has been taken it's a message of freedom, a message of, of God's unconditional grace and mercy of extending to us the hand of salvation, the redemption through Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the God of gods and He is the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. This approach was scandalous in the Old Testament world, the power of the gods was always channeled through the elite, through high society, through the rich, through kings, through priests, through military leaders, not toward the poor and the outcast. As I was, was, over the last two weeks, um, working through this, this message and this thought process for, for these two weeks, I thought back to when we as a church on, on Sunday nights went through the When Helping Hurts uh, training. And the one, one of the key thoughts that has stuck with me out of that is when he said, we have to recognize that we are all in poverty in some way. Yes. We just see people who are materialistically impoverished. But yet when you become a workaholic, then you're impoverished from the relationships with your family. You're impoverished from the relationships with you to have... Time to spend with God. You're even impoverished in your own self because you don't just get time to stop because you're so focused on being a workaholic. And he says, so you're just the opposite end of the spectrum of poverty from the one who has nothing materialistically while you work to have everything because you have other things that you are poor in. When I begin to see that, when I thought back to that and realized that God has been laying groundwork for me for probably eight or nine months of, of leading even up to this and into what, I don't know. But, but to say that when, when we realize that in the Old Testament world that the power of the gods, the Greek gods, and all this, it was always funneled through the rich. But yet if we are all poor, if we are all impoverished, if we are all broken in some way, then we are all the ones that really the perceived idea of the power and the blessing of the gods would have never reached. We just convinced ourselves that it would because we had something materialistic. On, but yet God says that I am the one who shows no partiality and I will not accept bribes. Yes. <laughs> Interesting thing to me is God doesn't accept bribes. He only took payment. And the Bible tells us, we we read it here recently, he said, remember that you've not been redeemed by perishable things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Injustice is easier to perform against those without the money or the social status to defend themselves. So often when he was speaking of justice and speaking about the widows, and remember in this society, uh, there were very few women that worked. If you were an orphan, uh, that was a definite challenge, even as it is today. The traveler that was coming through didn't own property, didn't have any claim to anything, and just the poor in general. Injustice was always easier to perform. It's still easier to perform today. Even at the lowest levels, doesn't doesn't well, it doesn't have to be a, doesn't have to be an ethnic issue. It doesn't have to be a even a political issue or even a a uh, a religious issue. It's just easier to perpetrate injustice on someone who has nothing because they can't afford to hire a lawyer. They can't afford to to go to court defend themselves. Even or, uh, so so people just at the most common levels on a day to day basis can perpetrate injustice more toward in your company. In your workplace. It honestly, most of the time, it's easier for somebody that's a CEO to, I mean, if you really wanted to, to, to have a lot more impact on somebody that's a temporary worker. It, it's just the way that power works in the natural world. But is not what God's plan was for his body. Proverbs 31 and 8 says, again, open your mouth for the mute. That's the, ESB. The, the King James Version says, For those who have no voice, for those who cannot speak, open your mouth for the rights of all who are destitute. Yes. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 19 gives a powerful statement. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Stand up and cry that one out in the middle, you know, because your Old Testament stuff, you know, a lot of times they would, they would do a call and response type of thing almost. It would, it would be, I'm going to say this, and then all the people are to say amen. And so he stands up and says, you're going to be cursed if you pervert the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people are to say amen. <laughs> amen. Does anybody know what amen means? So big yes, let it be so, but it's an exclamation of that to God's glory. So wow, he he stands up and reads, anybody that perverts the justice, the mishpah, the the action of justice, but remember that's to be done out of merciful love. Anyone who perverts that due to the sojourn of the followers and the widow, let them be cursed and all the people said, let it be. God's glory, let it be. Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Israel was charged with creating a culture of social justice for the poor and the vulnerable because it was the very way that they would reveal God's glory and character to the world. Come on now. Mm. This culture of social justice was going to reveal God's glory and character to the world. Well, I, I want to show it to you in Scripture. You don't need to hear my opinion about it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 8. This is God speaking to them, says keep them and do them. Some of the things that he's told them to do. For they will that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it? as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Keep them. Do them. For that will be your wisdom. Keeping them and doing them will be your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. This is why God says to us that if we dishonor the poor, then we insult him. But if we are generous to the poor, then we honor him. Where does it say that? In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy. Honors him. Justice. We're, we're all about justice when it's when it's time to punish someone. From all. But justice in the biblical sense, a Mishpah, of understanding that we are to also give to others their rights. Whether that So therefore, what is their right then may be punishment. It may be deliverance from oppression, though. It may be provision. If you do wrong, then according to the Bible, then you deserve to receive your rights, which is punishment. That's why the, that's why the message of the gospel is so powerful. Because that which we deserved we end up not receiving because of His unconditional grace and mercy because our sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, He didn't say you earned it. He didn't say you did anything to qualify for it. He said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. If believers in God don't honor the cries and claims of the poor, we don't honor Him regardless of what we profess because we hide His glory and beauty from the rest of the world. There was a a Roman ruler who in writing a letter spoke about his own people's religion and their beliefs, and he spoke about Jews and he spoke about Christians. His name was Julian. He's known as the apostate. He said, For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. Teach those of the Hellenic faith to contribute to public service of this sort. He's a ruler who says, look, these people, these imps, these impious Galileans, these Christian people, they not only take care of Christian people, but they take care of the poor that are Hellenic. They take care of Iber that aren't even of their faith. And it's making us look bad in the world because people see that we're not giving aid to our own people because these Christian people are taking care of them. You notice he didn't say, you just hear me out on this, he said the Jews don't have to beg but it's the Christians that are taking care of. These people that understood, they weren't even these Galileans, these really Almost these Gentiles was, was so much of the Christian base that was doing this because they knew what it was like to be cast out. They knew what it was like to be second class in a society. They knew all of these things. And yet, he said, they turned around and they not only took care of their own, but they took care of those who were outside of their faith, they were poor, and said, it's making us look bad. Can you imagine the witness that was coming in that society that a ruler is able to look and see, these guys make us look bad. I wonder, I wonder if we went into the world today and we said, what do you see out of the Christian church when it comes to charity? Oh, wait a minute. It's not charity. It's justice. Would our own society say, you know what? These people of God, these people that say they're followers of Christ, they are so active in reaching the poor, and that that they make us look bad. We could spend some time though talking about would would probably what they would say is all we ever hear about is scandal after scandal at somewhere where somebody's been embezzling money and taking money and doing this and whatever. It's not the case, always, but that's what people hear. That's what people see because uh, when it gets so high profile, sometimes. It should be so apparent out of every body of believers that comes together that we are doing that which is justice. The Bible puts another word together with mishpat very often. I did actually look up how how to do this one. This word is zadeka which can also be translated being just, but it's normally translated being righteous. I was reading one scholar, and I posted this earlier this week. He said, righteous, you know, people that are righteous, are those right with God and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. That's what righteousness becomes for us is that we had a broken relationship with God. We were separated from Him. And yet through Jesus Christ, we now become, we put on the righteousness of Christ because the Bible says our own righteousness is His filthy rags. But we put on the righteousness of Christ and we now come into right standing and right relationship with God. And when we come in right relationship with God, we must, it is imperative, that we then make the other relationships in our lives become right. Sometimes where we find ourselves in such great frustration is because that we are trying to convince people in the world to make relationships right outside of God instead of making their relationship right with God so that these other relationships become right. We're trying to give them advice and opinions and all these things on how to do this apart from God instead of understanding that it is when we come into that right relationship with God that we now are empowered through the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done in order to affect these other relationships. Because to be honest, it becomes extremely difficult for any of us to face situations and relationships that that become hard and, and that, that become where people take advantage of us or that uh, are... are How can you pray for those that abuse you or pray for those that do despitefully use you as the Word says if you don't have the righteousness of Christ through that right relationship with God because our natural man is going to say no. I I can't pray for someone who is despitefully using me and that is doing wrong toward me. I can't do that. But yet when the relationship becomes right with God and we become righteous, then it is not by any strength that we have, but it is by Him living through us and acting through us that we die to self and that Christ lives in us. And now the relationship, we're able to be what we should be and put those things into right standing. The Word says even for us to, be at, you know, to live at peace we, as much as lies within us. Amen. To do our part. Job chapter 29. This is a lengthy passage, verse 12 through 17. This is what Job spoke about himself in describing as he's gone through his difficulty. He says, because... And you contemplate this. Why does a guy feel that he needs to say these things reflecting his standing with God? Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, that's that sadeka, and it clothed me. My mishpat, my justice was like a robe and a turban. He says, I had them both. I put on this righteousness and it clothed me. My mishpat, my justice was like a robe and a turban. He says, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. I delivered the poor who cried for help. And the fatherless who had none to help him, the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me. I started thinking about that. I was like, the blessing of, of him that's about to perish. You know what happens a lot of times when people know they're about to die. I want to give you this before I, before I go from this life. You know what I want. It. I've had this all these years, Stephen. I want you to have this. For me. the blessing. The blessing of him who was about to die came upon me. He said, I, I became. I became a, a gracious and extravagant giver to those around me. I wasn't going, oh, I'm still going to be alive. I need to keep all this stuff. He says, I started being like somebody who knows I'm going to pass and was seeing the joy of going, I want you to have this. He, said, he says, what, what did I do? He says, I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Why? Because she wasn't going to have anything. Because it, it, in that society, if she didn't have a husband, it was going to be in trouble. That's why we can read elsewhere in the Scripture, even over in the New Testament, and see as he tells the church, he says, look, you care for those that are widows indeed. And he tells the extended family, he says, look, if she has nephews or whatever, you need to take her in. Why? Because this was not common to the culture. He was doing something different. He was doing something that was just. So I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. I felt it. I put it on. I became, I, I started demonstrating this righteousness, this tzadikah, and I began to, I began to have this mizprothed. It was like a robe and a turban. So, so I put on righteousness. You've got to remember their, their clothing method. And then, I, and then I put a robe on on top of that and put a, put a hat on my head. I was fully clothed with righteousness and with justice. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I helped people see. I carried people where they couldn't go. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I didn't just go find the people that I knew. I searched out the cause of those that I didn't know. And then I broke the fangs of the unrighteous. I need to share a scripture with you. It's not here, but, but, but God's putting it in my heart, so I need to just share with you. Um, when God called me to preach when we lived in Indiana, called me to pastor as well. It wasn't just you calling to preach. This is the, this is the passage that he used, and when I read that, Job says, "I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth." What, what did, what did that do? If, if, if an animal has grabbed another animal, and you cause them to let them go, what, what happened for the one that, that got, he got, he got so he got set free. He's, he's delivered. He's, I, I was in the clutches. I was, I was going but now I'm set free. Luke chapter four. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to church. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place. It wasn't by accident. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. She said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Anointed me to do what? Here's that group of people again. To proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. When I used to read that, even when when God used that passage just to speak to my heart about coming to the ministry, I always thought about the poor as in, hey, it's poor people that don't have things. And then this year, this past year, when I began to realize, you no, know, without Him, we're all poor. Amen. We're all impoverished we don't have we're missing something and I used to think when I would read that verse oh he came came to proclaim the good news to those people then this year I had to realize I'm those people I'm those people I was poor, I was broken, I was needy, and he came to speak good news. Job goes on to speak of himself and he says, If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, when they brought a complaint against me, he says, If I'm not just to them, then what shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him my maidservant, my manservant? And did not one fashion us in the womb? You know what he says? He says, Are we not the same? did the same God not make us? If I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, for from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing... Are the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, I saw my friends, I saw my, my other, my compadres in the gate, and so I wouldn't respond because, oh, I can't do that. I can't be seen with them. Then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder. Let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced His majesty. If I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges for why I would have been false to God above. He says, hey, look, if I don't, if I don't do justly, if I don't release those who are oppressed, Jesus stood up in the synagogue and read. That's a, it's a quote from Isaiah. He reads from Isaiah and says, this is what has been accomplished in your hearing today the oppressed being set free, the broken, the poor. Who are we that if Jesus stood up and said, here's my mission and it's being accomplished today and then we go, that's not our mission. Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, mishpoth, justice, and righteousness, azekah, in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him boast, boast in this, that he understands and that he knows me. Understands and knows what about me? That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the Lord. For in these things, I'm not pleased. I'm not glad you did them. I don't just go, okay, though. that's okay. No, I am delighted. Tendency of the modern church, and especially the Americanized church, is Consider mishpat not only be punishment we talk about, not mercy or giving rights. We consider generous giving to be mercy, compassion, or charity, but not justice. Why? Why is that? There's a reason, because in English, charity conveys an idea that is good, but is optional. It can't be a requirement, because if it's a requirement, then, well, that's not charity. You're taking that from my check right you're, you're not you're not I'm not getting to give it you know it's charity it needs to come from the heart come on, it would be nice if it just come at all <laughs> right you know and it'd be really great that it did come from the heart I still in reflecting some of you are, are big history buffs and stuff like that and you know this far better than I do and, and uh, let's just go and admit it some of y'all were alive when it was going but, but uh, <laughs> I mean just tell the truth uh, but, you know, when you go back prior to FDR, the, 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 your, your, your charitable efforts, your, what we know as charitable efforts, your provision of things in the community came from the community. And most often, uh, it came historically from the, the people of faith. And then something happened. Y'all have heard me talk about it. I, as a kid, I remember poundings. You go, yeah, yeah, my my dad too. You know, no, not those kind of families. When when I was a kid, it, if if somebody in the church uh, they lost their job or or um, you know something had happened and there was a a, a sickness in the family, they weren't going to be able to work. You didn't have all these different insurances and all this kind of stuff. A lot of times, the people have today, and and so I can remember growing up in you know with my dad as the only pastor I knew until I was you know twenty some odd years old. When, when, when he would stand up and he would say uh, church tonight um, I need you to uh, I need you to go home today we need to have a pounding tonight. And, um, and we have a family in the church that um, have lost their job and sometimes depending on, on how it was you know back then most, or most everybody knew anyway they knew who it was and um, and, and they man he's going to get hold of me And everybody would go home and you would, the, the idea was you would bring a pound of food. I mean it was kind of symbolic and and I can remember because my mom, back then her, her kitchen, her her cabinets as crazy as it sounds, they were yellow with green interior. Um, it, it was a big color thing back then and I remember because all the canned goods when you walk in, in into their kitchen you turn to the right uh, they've got a, a row of cabinets here, and the bottom cabinet right here is double doors, and those double doors are where all the canned goods were. And so mom would have me get down there, and she would, all right, so you you get stuff out and tell me what you see. Now, in your mind, you might be thinking, oh, they're they're looking for the can of beets or the can of, you know, that wasn't what, now, that's maybe what I would be, here's a can of beets, you know, here's a can of, no no son and, and no we put those well here's a can of beans okay yeah that's, those are good yeah. and so you got good stuff out and she would be you know what then they're going to need this and they got three kids and, and we're going to and people show up for church that night sometimes people maybe wasn't coming all the time on Sunday night but they show up and people bring this stuff in and they put it all in boxes And I'd see dads. Maybe that dad had lost. He's, maybe it was that he'd lost a job. Maybe that it was one of their kids was sick, and it was they had no money. They were struggling to pay And I'd see a dad stand there beside those boxes and put his head down. And I'd see tears come down a dad's face. And I'd see men of the church come by and just hug. Him. We love you, brother. We're here for you. That's the church I grew up seeing. That's the body of Christ I grew up seeing. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of body of Christ that I want to lead. Mm-hmm. Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. In order to be seen. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. I want you to catch something because we get focused on the part about Oh, don't sound the trumpet and all that stuff. I need you to catch this first statement. Beware of practicing your righteousness. I need you to understand not the warning. But he said this is righteousness. Beware of practicing righteousness. And then he describes what it is. Beware of practicing Righteousness. What is righteousness? When you give to the needy. Don't sound a trumpet and all that. Matthew tells us giving is an act of righteousness. And since it becomes an act of righteousness, then not doing these things becomes an action of unrighteousness. God has already been described through his own word as the one who stands for the fatherless for the widow for the immigrant for the poor again understanding because I know immigration is a big topic for our society right now there's some difference in some of what we're going to talk about some of that next week but but it's still there. He says, so don't, don't make a big show out of it. i got to take us back for just a moment to Job chapter 31. For I was in terror of calamity from God. He I say, I, I, had a, I had a fear. I did not want to bring God's judgment and correction upon myself. If I've made gold my trust, or called fine gold my confidence, or if I've rejoiced because my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had found much, if I've looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splinter, and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth has kissed my hand. In other words, I'm telling myself what a good job I've done. He could have said, Pat yourself on the back, would have been our common thing today. and I would have been false to God above. I want to share just a couple more verses with you. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 5. He says, If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, I'm going to skip to verses 7 and 8, does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest, or take any profit, withholds his hand from, the injust- from injustice, or executes true justice between man and man. There was his description. There were his things that he listed of someone who is righteous and does what is just and what is right. As we start this new year, many people are going to, and many organizations, many churches, no offense to them, begin this year with a fasting process. I have no problem with that. None at all. Uh, People are going to give up food and they're going to eat bread and water like Daniel did. They're going to say, we're doing a Daniel fast. Got no problem with that. While all of that is good and we do need to fast in many different ways we can find ways to fast. And What fasting does God ask for specifically? Isaiah 58 verses 6 and 7. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Justice, mishpat, is beyond what most of us have ever considered as Christ followers. And it's something that God requires us to do, not just to believe in.